Well, hi everyone, and welcome to episode 74 of the Effective Teaching Podcast. And today I'm gonna be giving you the basics of how to do your programming. And there's essentially four key steps that I would encourage you to make sure that you go through as you're doing this. So the first step is for you to really know your students and how they learn, okay? And so in Australia, this is actually one of our professional teaching standards is to know your students and how they learn. And so here, I'm just gonna walk you through some of the basics here. So you need to know how students learn. The the very basics of you have to know it in great detail, though if you wanna do that, that could be helpful. But at a very basic level, you need to make sure that you understand that in order for students to develop new knowledge, they have to connect that with old knowledge. They have to connect with something they already know. Students, as they're learning things, uh, they will store it better if they can connect it, if they can make sense of it already. You also wanna make sure that you're not giving them too many items. There's a thing called cognitive load, and at, as part of that, there's this thing idea where if you're a novice to something, or if you're a student just about to learn something new, you can really only handle about four items. But then if you understand and have a good understanding, you can start to move towards eight items total, and that's an expert, is eight items. So as a teacher, we need to remember that we probably can do eight items, but our students can only do four to start with, and then you wanna build them up from there. So making sure we're starting at the bottom and building ourselves up. Now some strategies to really help students to be able to make connections and to uh, remember the basis really well, and then start to learn to apply that and think critically about that, etc. is uh, there's essentially a mnemonic that's CRIME, okay? So C-R-I-M-E, and C is for chunking, so finding relevant information that you're teaching kids and putting it together. Rehearsal, making sure you give your students lots of opportunities to rehearse, and that's where spaced repetition can come in there. Using imagery, so making summaries that are visual in format or even giving visuals that go along with the information that clearly connects the information to, um, to the visuals so not, you know, not disconnected, but connected imagery. You can use mnemonics like crime, uh, and you can also use elaboration where you're taking what someone already has or something quite small and you're just building upon that and then building upon that and building upon that and slowly elaborating and expanding it. The other part to this is that you must also know your students. So in order to know your students, you must know what they already know, which is probably the most important thing for you to do, is to make sure you actually have checked to find out if they they know the prior knowledge for this course, if they already know half of the course, what do they actually already know? Even stuff that's not quite directly related, maybe just other things that are connected, do they already know those things that you could then build on? You know, if you're trying to connect new information with old information, it's really important to know what your students know so you can help them with those connections. You also need to have a think about what they are interested in. And so finding out all the different things they're interested in and then using that in the way that you teach by connecting things into that. And the final thing I want you to think about when you're getting to know your students is to get to know their learning strengths. And so there's their cognitive strengths, but there's also their interpersonal and their intrapersonal skills as well, and whether or not they need to work on grit, for example, or if they need to work on their ability to collaborate, or maybe they're struggling to really understand some very basic content. And so teaching them the skill set for how to learn as well and checking where they're at with those skills is really important 
as well. And there's a great tool called the Learning Disposition Wheel, which can help to identify students' strengths and weaknesses uh, with their learning. Now, the next step is for you to know where you are going together. So what I mean is you want to know where the student wants to go and where you're trying to get them to, and then come together and go, okay, both of us understand where we're going and why, right? So having that why is really important, but you both need to know where you're heading, okay? So that's kind of your learning goals, but you want to set that together with the student. You can also set the criteria together with the student. So what does it look like when we get there? And you can do that by giving the students uh, bad examples and good examples and getting them to identify strengths and weaknesses of you know, three or four examples that you give them. And it's the strengths and stuff that then become the criteria that can be used for measuring success on whether or not students are doing well in their learning. Another thing that you're giving the examples, that's great for, to give them as well because that helps the students to know where they're going. And it also helps them know when they've gotten there. Because sometimes the criteria can be difficult to grasp if something's new to you. For us, it's quite easy often because we know what it looks like. We've seen it a few times. Whereas for a student, they've never gotten there. So they need to see it a few times so they know what it looks like when they actually achieve it. Now, it's really important that both of you, both you, the teacher, and the student, know what is being learned and how to identify when success has been achieved because you want the student to be able to monitor their own learning as well as you monitoring it and helping them to progress and celebrating their success and them knowing great I've done this what's next and they know how to do that that's really important the next thing in your programming is to consider the best way for you to be checking for success now if you've been working through that criteria setting goals and examples that will help you a lot here as you go through this process but as you're trying to work out what is the best way to check for success in my students' learning, you want to make sure that you are matching the type of assessment with the goals and the criteria. Okay, you don't want to have, you know, generally speaking, tests don't line up very well with that unless your goal is to do well in the test. But if you're trying to check for whether or not a student can you know, create training programs or check whether or not students can identify things on maps or whether they can create maps and that kind of stuff, you're better off getting them to create maps. You're better off getting them to create training programs and monitoring how they do that and seeing the kind of product that they create at the end rather than saying, all right, let's just do a quick test about whether you know what's meant to be included in a training program. I want to actually see them create it. And so aligning the type of assessment with the goals, and sometimes you know your assessment will be a test. It will align better with the goals you've got. But you just need to make sure that how you're looking to assess students' learning. And this is really for you know, just monitoring their progress, formative type assessment. You can do it for formal assessment as well, but you wanna make sure you're aligning that assessment type and how it works with the goals you're trying to achieve and what that might look like. Now, when you're creating it, you also wanna make sure that your assessment is reliable, which means that it can basically be repeated multiple times and get the same kind of results. Uh, you want it to be authentic, that actually connects to students and their lives and all that kind of stuff, that it's meaningful for them, and that it's valid, that it's actually testing the right thing. And that's why aligning your goals with your assessment is really important. The final step is, of course, to create the best conditions for learning. Now, I really love uh, Sir Ken Robinson's garden metaphor, where he talks about learning not so much as, a, you know, you stand at the front and uh, you're trying to put information into a student's head, right? That's not what we're after. He says that learning happens best when you create the conditions for learning. And he uses a garden metaphor where 
it's actually, you know, students are not like an industry where you're creating a car and all the things need to be the same and they all come out the same. It's actually more like gardening. It's more like growing your herbs, growing your veggies. And I'm really into a thing called permaculture. If you're listening and you're into it, hello, and you know, shoot me an email. I love to chat about permaculture stuff. But basically what it is, is about creating gardens that are self-sustaining and that work on their own a lot, but also you're creating the conditions for the growth. And the most important thing in permaculture is always the soil quality. But you know, for plants to grow, they need sun, or that they need the right amount of sun for the type of plant they are. They need the right amount of water for the type of plant they are. They need the right soil conditions for the kind of plant that they are and the kind of soil that they need. Uh, and so there's all this stuff that comes into creating the right conditions. And I think the same thing is true about learning. Each student is actually different and the way that they're gonna learn best, it's not necessarily that you know, there's visual learners and there's audio learners or there's uh, learners who like to read or learners who are practical and everything. We actually can generally learn from any of those ways. The, often we have our preferred way of learning, but we can learn generally from a lot of ways. But it's really about creating the best conditions for that student. So a student already has interests. They already have their own goals. And then you're going to bring your, your goals alongside that in terms of what you're trying to achieve in your particular subject or particular stage. And you want to be able to bring those together in a way that is beneficial and creates growth in their learning so that they can progress. And we do that by really understanding the student really well. The better you understand the student, the better you can create the conditions to help them to learn. And it's just like gardening, the better you understand each garden, each plant, the better you can create the conditions for that plant to grow and do its best. Now, when you're creating these conditions, you need to make sure you base it on how students learn. So make sure you're basing it on making sure you understand their prior knowledge, their prerequisites, making sure that they are getting the basis before you go into deeper learning, only giving them small bits of information, chunking that information, you're remembering crime, so we're doing rehearsal, imagery, mnemonics and elaboration here. Building all those things into your learning conditions is really beneficial for your students. You also wanna focus on the progress and process over the content. It's more important that students learn how to learn than it is that they learn the content that you're trying to get them to learn, right? Uh, now, hopefully they will do both. And generally speaking, if you focus on progress and process, the content will get learnt anyway because they will become better learners and they will learn what you're trying to get them to learn. Now, you need to make sure that your learning is engaging. Right? The number one thing for you to do in your class is make sure students are actually engaged and focused in their learning, not distracted and not bored. Okay, really important that they're not bored in your classroom. Make sure it's engaging, make sure it's interesting. You wanna build in students' voice and choice into things, so try and get them to contribute to things like I was talking about with the creating of the goals and the uh, success criteria and stuff. They can be involved in that. The more you collaborate with your students, the more voice they have. And then when you present things to them, give them choice, and particularly choice that might connect to their interests and those types of things where they might choose, oh, I'm really interested in photography, so I'm gonna actually create something that has to do with photography or use photography to create my um, end product that showcases my learning. And so they can build all these things in that connects their interests into their own goals, your goals, and that's when you're setting things up really well for great success in your classroom. And the final thing I wanna say here is that learning really 
needs to be cohesive. Number one thing I find when it comes to teachers creating their units is often they pull out the syllabus, they look at the dot points, and then just put the dot points into the program in the order that they're in the syllabus, and then they just walk through what's there in whatever order that it came out of the syllabus at. But the people who created the syllabus weren't creating programs. They were identifying things that students should learn, not then putting it in the best order to learn it or working out how things can easily link and, and to create those connections for students, chunking things. They didn't do that. And so when you're creating your unit, you want to make sure it is really co cohesive, right? That it, you've really thought through what they're doing first and why they're doing that first, what's next and why. And so I should be able to look at your program at the end and say, and point to any activity that's there and say, why did you put that there? And you should have a reason. You should off the top of your head know that I've got that there because it builds in repetition. Maybe it's some imagery. Maybe it's allowing some elaboration. Maybe it's a collaborative activity and you want to work on their actual learning skills and collaboration. Maybe it is something that you're putting that allows students to have choice in what they're doing. Or maybe it's, um, it could be a video that you're making them watch and you say, well, I'm going to make them watch the video for homework as a flipped learning thing maybe so that my students when they come into the classroom I have more time to work with them in their smaller groups as they're applying that content and I can check their learning even before they come in and I can differentiate and that's why I've got three different activities planned afterwards to start the lesson, all that kind of stuff. So for it to be cohesive, you need to really make sure that you've got that required base of knowledge that you've covered first. You need to then build upon this. You need to, once you've built upon the required base of knowledge, you then want to start to go deeper and have thing, things like critical thinking and analysis and assessment happening. You want to have everything connecting and making sense throughout this whole, whole process so that you know this flows into that, flows into that, and you can see the connections that are formed. And you're purposely, when you're getting to things that connect back, making sure that it's in your program that you are connecting this back to this activity or to this content. And so bring that content in, remember this, and this is what we're doing with it in this lesson. And so making sure those connections are all there and it makes sense and that you've really considered everything in your program, that you've really thought through each activity and how it flows from one to the next. Because if you do that, and I remember when I, when I first started doing this, it was when I stumbled across uh, Understanding by Design by Grant Wiggins and Jay McTee, I'd been creating programs very much just following you know, the dot points but then I read uh, Grant Wiggins and Jamie T's book about understanding by design. And they've got a three-step process for backwards mapping, um, essentially, for programming. But then I also read um, Hattie and uh, Yates's book about how students learn. And that book, in collaboration with, the, with Jay's stuff and a few other things that I've read over oh, quite a long time now. I've been teaching for too long. No, <laughs> not too long. You can never teach for too long. Um, but I've been, all that reading, I'm bringing it together into this four steps, right? But I think it's very important that we understand our students and how they learn. I think that is the absolute crux of then creating really good programs. Now, when you're putting cho choices into your program, you wanna make sure that the aim is to transfer knowledge, right? So think about how will you know what they know? How will you know what the students know? How will students know what to do? Right. How, how will they know that? Are you 
Think about every choice that you make about what you put into that program should be meeting something like this, right? So how will students know what to do? Well, how are you gonna give them the instruction? Are you gonna say it at the front? Are you gonna write it on the board? Are you gonna give them a handout? Are you gonna post it onto Google Classroom or into Seesaw? Maybe it's all already done for you in a hyperdoc. Like there's lots of different ways for you to give students information. How will they learn the basic content? Will you be explaining it? Will they be interviewing someone? Will they watch a video or a documentary or something? How will you check that they learnt it? Are you going to do a pop quiz? Are they going to interview each other and then respond to you? Are you going to interview them all yourself? Lots of different ways for you to check students' learning. Okay, Uh, How will the students go deeper? How are they going to start doing that critiquing, evaluating, assessing things, or do their own inquiry that takes things deeper as well? How will they apply the knowledge? And in what context? Are you going to give them choice in terms of where they apply it in terms of their context? Or are you going to maybe specify it a bit more that they're going to do woodwork, they need to create a toy car out of wood, and they're going to create it and display it here. Everyone can make their own car, different types of cars they can choose from, but they all want to make their own char- their own car. Or maybe you're going to say, look, you have to make something out of wood. It can be anything that you're interested in. And then that allows for better differentiation because someone might go, well, I'm actually quite good at woodwork. So instead of making a small car, I'm going to make, you know, an eight-wheel truck that's a semi-trailer and it can connect and disconnect and that kind of stuff. You also need to think through how you might foster their own ideas. How will you actually help students to be creative or to solve problems? Uh, And how are you going to teach the skills for that? And then what skills are you seeking to develop throughout this unit? And then how are you developing those? So throughout your whole unit, generally there's skills that are specific to your content area. There'll be skills specific to the stage that you're teaching. And so how can you match up those and make sure that the students are developing them? Have you specifically got activities in there that are helping your students to learn those skills in their programming? Well, that's it for this episode. This is episode 74. Just by way of a quick wrap up, if you're going to do a very quick basics overview of how to do some programming, my four steps are to make sure you know your students and how they learn, Make sure you know where you are going together with them, that you have considered and are using the best way to check for success, and then to create the best conditions for learning. Now, I actually have an infographic you can grab for this episode. If you head over to teacherspd.net slash 74, you'll land on the show notes and there'll be a form there. And you can grab an infographic that's poster size. So you could go and get it printed if you want, stick it up on the walls at your school in your um, maybe in your staff room or in a faculty area to just remind people and to remind yourself of the basics of what you need to go through to make sure that you're creating a quality program for your students. Well, I hope you'll come back and join me next week. Please make sure you hit the subscribe button if you have not subscribed to this podcast. And I would love to hear from you. So even if you're not interested in the infographic, come over to teacherspd.net slash 74 Leave me a comment. I would love to hear from you and get know how you go about your programming process.